HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Today's program has been brought to you by Heritage Foods USA, the nation's largest distributor of heritage breed pigs and turkeys. For more information, visit heritagefoodsusa.com. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit heritageradionetwork.org for thousands more. with Annie Sosky, who's the co-owner of Helsing Junction Farm in Rochester, uh, Washington. Hi, Annie. Hello. Hello, Thank you're you there. Can you hear me? Everything okay? Yes, I can. So, thank you for joining on the show. I am very excited to talk with you, uh, and that thank you for having time with such a big project as you have going on um, to have time to talk. My pleasure. Thank you. So I guess we could start out with a little bit of a description of your operation and kind of the area around your farm. What's the, what's the context for your, for your farm and, and what's been your experience setting up the operation you have so far? Um, I've actually been farming here in Independence Valley for the last 23 years. This will actually be the 23rd summer. And um, myself and my business partner, Susan Ujic, we have a currently a 40-acre um, organic farm and CSA operation with um, 1,200 CSA members currently. And, um yeah. And from my understanding, you guys are pretty advanced in the way that you coordinate it in that you are um, you have been applying some of the techie knowledge. I feel like maybe it was one of your sons who was helping with that. Is that true? Um, we use really amazing cloudware to to um, for all our data, and um, it's been designed specifically for CSA programs, and it runs pretty much our whole operation 
from um, member signups through um, payments and email, and um, we do our harvest list and all kinds of things on it. So it's really it's really amazing. Um, and what was the process of figuring out what you wanted and checking it out, or how did that? How did you evaluate and then implement that um, add-on to your operation? What has it meant for your operation to be synced in that way? It's really made a huge impact on sales and our ability to um, interface with our customers and to manage our data, which as we grew actually became a real struggle. Um, you know, we had used other, um, ac we used Access and Excel and some different programs, but this is just um, really light years ahead of that. And, um, and one of the benefits, too, is we have an online store. And so now we can utilize our customer, you know, our CSA members. Um, you know, it's a, it's a pretty hefty amount of people when you factor in. You know, it's not just 1,200 members. It's probably like we're feeding more like 5,000 people. And so um, now we, we see ourselves more as almost a food hub because we work with other local farms to provide um, other products to our CSA members and to provide a market for these other little niche, niche um, farms in our area. Um, and we've helped, actually it's been really amazing, we've actually helped some other small farms get a toehold in the market because, um, you know, they've been able to access our CSA members slash market share. Well, and that's just the most wonderful um, kind of like successional dynamic or like associative, the like associative power of local food cooperation in getting more and more diversity into the offering and like using each other's customers to build up a bigger audience and market share. Um, what are... What are you guys thinking about in terms of where you're going to go next? Uh, or are you at a happy size and a happy, at a happy um, level of complexity and scale that you're just going to stay where you are as an operation? I'm, I'm, I mean, as far as size goes, I think we're a pretty good size now. We, I mean, one of our metrics, which is pretty simple that we use to sort of gauge our efficiency is that our truck is, our delivery truck is full every time it leaves the farm. And um, we're sort of at that point. We've sort of maxed out the acreage we have as far as being able to, we still want to be able to rotate our land and fallow ground. So um, we're sort of maxed out. Um, we have about maybe 80 acres in total, but we like to pasture a lot of it. And then, um, and, but, but, but what are, so it's been good to sort of build on our market with these other products because that sort of expanded our audience. And then um, also we want to, we, we're sort of trying to focus more on the quality of the produce that we're growing, and we've been working really hard on um, bolstering the working on our soil and trying to grow the most nutrient dense product that we can, and then use that as sort of a marketing tool. Sort of almost more the I mean, where we're headed, we think right now is sort of this idea more of having prescriptive produce, where we're working possibly with naturopaths or um, dietitians, you know, and sort of promoting ourselves almost in that, on that level, like where 
we, our, new, our goal is to do nutrient testing of our actual produce so that we can have a, a real uh, gauge as to the actual nutritional content of it. So that's sort of where we're at right now. Wow. And what, what, um, what drove interest in that direction? Were you being approached by naturopaths or you just noticed that you're coming from such a magical soil place? Or what was the, what was the provocation to think in that direction? It was a variety of things that sort of coalesced, but um, one of the things that happened is we started working with an arm of the USDA called the NRCS, and um, they gave us a bunch of grants, and the, the regional head is this really, Jeff Svotex is a really amazing guy, and so he um, really would come out and visit regularly and really was encouraging us to um, build our soil, and we had sort of been resting on our laurels slightly because we're in a river bottom, and so we have really beautiful loamy soil that is really fertile, but at the same time, um, you know, we were sort of wearing, you know, but we, there, we needed to do due diligence and maintenance, and beyond that now we're working actually um, with uh, trace minerals, which are also known as uh, micronutrients. So we're not just applying the macronutrients, that whole NPK, but we're actually um, experimenting with this. And then last year was our first year, and we just had outstanding results. So it was thrilling, actually, I have to say. So. so you threw on some of that funny rock dust that we all look at at the conferences. and you The micronutrients? Well, uh, the version we used was um, sea minerals, actually. Um, this one called, in particular called sea crop, which is really amazing. It's um, you know, they use this reverse osmosis to basically take a lot of the um, salinity out of the product, but it has um, a lot of the biological life and not just the sea minerals itself. And it's a very, like, min it's a very potent product that also, I mean, part of what it actually does is that it promotes microbial growth in the soil, and then the fertilizer becomes more bioavailable um, through the, the digestion process that happens with the microbes that eat it. So it's, it's really cool stuff. And I don't know, I don't have experience with any, any other kind of um, micronutrients in that, but we've been, we've been wowed already by that and can't wait to explore that whole avenue further. So, you're too, you're, so you would, would it be unfair to characterize you as two hard-nosed, um, somewhat skeptical women who were blown over by, by um, the ocean's bounty and its impact on your vegetables? Yeah. I mean, I, I mean, we just needed to really see it and vet it for ourselves in action. I mean, we sort of studied up on the science behind it and, and just through, um, you know, doing soil testing and just trying to be, you know, work on this tilt of the soil as well with, um, we bought, we geared up. I mean, it was kind of challenging just as women farmers, I think, um, potentially one of our shortcomings is just, you know, buying equipment. I mean, although I said that to a male farmer, and he's like, everyone struggles buying equipment. You know, it's not just you as a woman farmer, but, you know, just to – because especially when you're buying used equipment, you never really know what you're going to get. And anyways, but so we geared up, and we bought a subsoiler and um, some other and, – and we're trying to switch away from the type of plow that we're using now. And anyway, so once we um, – we started educating ourselves about – what we were, you know, that how we were taking care of our soil, basically, yes. Well, let's stick on this topic of um, women farmers and 
talk about some of the benefits that you guys have had as a non-married... Um, well, I don't know. Are you guys married to each other? We are not, and we're actually both married to other people, too. To, yeah, yeah, so let's talk it. about, from your perspective as not married to your farming partner person, some of the advantages of non-heteronormative configurations in agriculture, meaning um, not just being married to your partner, spouse, who's also farming with you. I think it's pretty great, um, you know, and we both were in situations where we were farming with uh, boyfriends at the time before we began farming with each other. And actually, we, we didn't even, we were just acquaintances when we first started farming together, which was also seemed like kind of a good way to begin, you know, not being friends first, although, of course, we're fabulous friends now. Um, after 23 years, we're as close as family for sure. Um, but... Um, it was really interesting at one point, um, Sue, my business partner's husband, worked at the college here in Olympia and was bringing his class through to meet everybody, and he was introducing us while we were at work, and he was saying, um, this is my partner's partner, and the, my partner, and it just, it just sounded so funny, and, and in a way, like, really... Uh, that relationship is now over, sadly, and, you know, ours has endured, and we've had a checking account together this whole time. And so, in a way, we actually are slightly married to each other just through circumstance, for sure, and um, bonded together. You know, just having this experience, and it's really interesting because my parents have actually subsequently moved out here, and Sue has a son, and I have twin girls now that are eight. And, you know, so it's just what started out as just, like, two hippies, uh, you know, on a few acres and just with sort of a dream has turned into the, uh, really evolved into a whole community of people. And my partner's son, Sue's son, has come back. Some of his friends work for us and they've evolved into farmers. And like, so just what started out really small, simple dream has like grown into this, not empire, because it's of course very tiny and simple, but um, it's amazing. It's been really an unexpected and wonderful. Unexpected and wonderful. And you guys are on land that you own or land that you rent, or what's your land land story? And it sounds like it's really great that your parents are able to come there for for elder elder care time. Or uh, what was the land story? Um, Sue and Sue has about 50 acres, of which maybe 30 are arable, and then um, my husband and I own another 13. And then um, once my parents moved here, it was very serendipitous, but they ended up um, buying almost 200 acres, and um, and so that's actually where we're farming now. Uh, not very much of that is well, not you know, 40 acres, maybe 30 acres of theirs is arable land as well. So between those pieces is sort of what we've been sticking it. And so your total farmed area in a season is how much and out and then your like rotation? Probably about 40, yeah. About 40 acres under in one season, give or take, and then about eight, maybe, I don't know, 80 or something in all. Sorry, I wandered too close to a dog and he started barking at me. That's my fault. (laughs) <laughs> no problem. About 80 in all. So 40 under cultivation per season and then 80 in all about. Um, okay, so now let's, let's, I would love to just switch direction because I realize that 
you um you are probably a really amazing have a really amazing perspective on a topic that is kind of increasingly in, in under my nose and that is um two two parts to the two parts of it that I'll ask you about. The first is when you guys are hiring um apprentices and workers, uh what are the characteristics that you're looking for? Um and I'll, then I'll, I'll hold the second part till after that. Okay. Um, what would be your advice to somebody who is thinking that they want to get involved in ag and um, is trying to kind of brush up and be prepared and be the most effective and hireable person they can be? I would say um, to definitely be hardworking is probably of utmost importance. And that a lot of, I mean, there's definitely a lot of skill involved. And as you, the longer you work, the, you know, definitely the more skilled you become. But initially, um, just being able to put in a good day's labor and not complain and work hard and um, just sort of fit into the overall process as much as you can, I guess, would be something I'd say. And so the people who come and work for you, um, for one season, do you get them usually their first season? Do you prefer hiring people for their second or third or fourth season? Um, how does how how do people kind of grade out as you're evaluating the candidates that you have? Well, interestingly, I mean, sadly, we don't we've not, we've we don't have interns at this point. Um, we don't we're in a floodplain, so we don't really have the ability to build any kind of housing, and um, so that's always been a really limiting factor. And um, we've we. I, we pay pretty decently given the fact that it's agricultural work and um, we've just had really loyal uh, employees for a long time and so um, we don't do a lot of year-to-year hiring per se um, and so but but we have been trying to mentor other farmers more and just sort of realizing that you know that now that we've accumulated enough knowledge, perhaps, yes, it is time to sort of pass that on somewhat, but, yeah. Well, and that kind of brings me to the second question, which is um, I continue to be approached just kind of on email, like at least once or twice a week and in person a lot by people who have bought or owned or inherited farmland and who want to basically hire a well-qualified farmer to run it and to manage it. And I wonder if you are also approached in that way and, and how you counsel, how do you counsel those kind of quote-unquote non-farming landowners um, who are, you know, looking for talent? I can't say that. I mean, I've had one person approach us with with some acreage that they were interested um, in pursuing, but not nothing to speak to really on that subject. Um, although I that made me think of the statistic that I heard that said um, if everybody ate the the um, required daily allowance of vegetables and fruit that all store shelves would be empty within three days of produce. And so 
what that says to me is that there's tremendous opportunity out there and um, with local catching fire. And now I think the next local, so to speak, is this nutrient density, the issue of nutrient density. And um, I just think that um, that market sh- – and, and when you really think like where we are in the county that we're in, the amount of designated arable agricultural acreage compared to the population, which is ever-expanding, is ridiculously small. So really, truly, even in a very um, farming-oriented place such as this, its supply should be outstripped by demand very easily and in, in the future. I believe it will be. So I think there's plenty of opportunity for everybody. And I encourage people to pursue farming because, yes. So you heard it here, folks. Lots of opportunity in farming, and um, there are all different kinds of farms to work for and think this thing through. Think this through for. There are some well-paying jobs. There are some partnership opportunities. There's internships. There's apprenticeships. There's being a paid farm manager, and all along that pathway, you're going to get to meet interesting human beings. Thank you so much, Annie, for coming on the show. I want to make sure to give you a space for any kind of call-out or seasonal event or favorite conference or what's what's next in your neck of the woods that listeners should be aware of. Um, April, I mean, excuse me, um, August 15th, 16th, and 17th, we have a local music fest and camp out for three days um, with of over 25 acts and organic food and swimming in our beautiful river, please come. Oh, my gosh. And what's that event called? Uh, it's it's K Records slash Helsing Junction Farm Sleepover with K Records out of Olympia. And you're invited, too, by the way. Please come. Woohoo! All right, everybody. And put also on your calendar while you're at it, uh, April 26th and 27th. Our Land, a Symposium on Land Access, presented by Agrarian Trust, Chelsea Green Publishing, Berkeley Food Institute, Schumacher Center, Brower Center, California FarmLink, and a few others. Kind of an incredible lineup of speakers all reflecting on this massive transition of farmland. Um, 70% of American farmland is owned by people who are 65 and older. So we have about 400 million farmland acres in transition in this next two decades, which represents about the same landmass as the Louisiana Purchase and should therefore uh, be on a higher level of policy priority and also uh, an opportunity to really rethink how that land is going to be farmed. So join us in person if you can, and if you can't, join the Agrarian Trust mailing list and you'll hear the podcast announcement. Thank you, Annie, for joining us. Thank you very much. Bye-bye, everybody. Talk to you next week. Thanks for listening to this program on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. You can find all of our archived programs on our website or as podcasts in the iTunes store by searching Heritage Radio Network. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at Heritage underscore Radio. You can email us questions at any time at info at heritageradionetwork.org. 
Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization. To donate and become a member, visit our website today. Thanks for listening.